The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Second Stage. It's uh, Brendan Anderson and in a very, very, very special uh, episode. Uh, Jeff is actually as uh, out as he likes to say on assignment, and I'm going to tackle this all on my own. So I can promise you one thing: uh, we may not stay on task, but we will cover a lot of really, really exciting uh, uh, topics. And um, we'll kind of follow my ADD nature, and we'll just go where uh, where the most excite exciting uh, uh, topic takes us. Um, I will say we've uh, both Jeff and I have been out on the road pretty much nonstop for the last uh, couple months. I think I uh, looked at my United, um, you know, kind of year-to-date stuff, and I think I'm at 24,000 miles just on United. Not to mention some of the other other airlines, but it's uh, it is what it is in the uh, exciting uh, evolution world. Uh, we've been able to visit some wonderful, wonderful entrepreneurs, as uh, we love to talk about on a, on a weekly basis, and um, and so forth. Uh, we um, um, uh, apologize also the last two because of the travel uh, the last two episodes that we've aired have uh, actually been repeats uh, they've been really good repeats so uh, I strongly encourage you to to listen to them but they were uh, repeats of the conscious capitalism um, episode as well as the startup accelerators and uh, um, way back on March 2nd uh, Jeff Cadlick uh, did a solo uh, uh show uh, with guest Patrick Rettig, R-E-T-T-I-G, who's a turnaround expert. You can find him at uh, www.thereddingcorporation.com. And uh, actually uh, uh, listened to that episode today for the first time, or Jeff, he actually did a, uh, Jeff and Patrick did a wonderful job. My takeaways from that were were really, um, you know, all about taking the steps to pay the bills and just make a dollar. I think, you know, Patrick did a wonderful job of kind of going through, um, you know, kind of the, the small steps, the detailed steps that uh, an entrepreneur or, you know, kind of a company that's uh, worked themselves into trouble need to take to uh, to kind of work their ways at, work their way out of it. And it's, I think he goes into some great discussion of, you know, going back to customers, explaining to them that, you um, that uh, you know that 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 you need another you know, that you're willing to take a shot and you'll deliver and you got and you got to do that, and it's also I you know I really appreciated uh, you know kind of the, the in depth discussion of um, how that's a bad thing, um, you know in the sense of if you're ever borrowing to cover losses or borrowing to cover mistakes or borrowing to cover that sort of thing, it's a really really dangerous trap, and uh, we at Evolution see it all the time. Um, you know people are it's you know it's all too tempting to do that, but it really you know debt is there 
to fund uh, expansion and to fund the the working capital you need to basically turn orders into to real dollars. And again, I, I encourage you to listen to that. Again, that was Patrick Redig, R-E-T-T-I-G at www.theredingcorporation.com. Actually, a very exciting episode this week. Uh, it's cybercrime and the need for in, for an incident response plan for your small business. Uh, we have you know, mentioned a great show, and it's a repeat guest, uh, Vikas Bhatia, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Call Key Consulting. That's www.callkey, which is K-A-L-K-I, consulting.com, a New York-based cybersecurity consultancy that focuses on small and medium-sized businesses. Mr. Badia um, started the organization in 2012 after 15-plus years of providing cyber expertise to global organizations. Vikas organized uh, – I'm sorry, he recognized that small businesses were – um, at the receiving end of cyber attacks at a much higher rate than most companies. Uh, he led the uh, call key team to develop a cybersecurity service offering that allows even the smallest firms to have a chief information officer. And I'll tell you, just again on my ADD side, it's, it's, we just see it all the time. I mean, I'll, I'll go into a couple of stories here later on, but uh, it's just our, our partner companies are experiencing this on a, on a regular basis. So anyways, we're lucky enough to have um, – Vikas, join us on a previous show to review the common threats that all business owners should be aware of, as well as some basic tactics you can to begin to protect your organization, employees, and clients. Unfortunately, cyber attacks are, are a reality, as we have all seen many of these examples in the media and possibly even experienced personally. Uh, Call key highlights that 20% of all cyber attacks are on small businesses with less than 250 employees. Uh, 68% of small businesses do not provide any, none, zero um, security training for their employees. And, and, I, and I can tell you, I just, I just don't think if you think about uh, as, a, as an owner of a, of a small business, this is something that's you know, kind of that, that you think about. Uh, today, we're going to revisit some of those common threats with uh, VCAS and dive into the proactive uh, uh, response plan that we can, uh, we can implement in our business uh, that if, if, in fact, it would fall victim to a cyber attack, including where to start if you have nothing in place today and who should be involved with your organization. Uh, before we bring VCAS uh, into the second segment, I want to remind everyone that we do we want to provide actionable advice. This is where Jeff usually kind of drones on. Uh, and uh, you have to continue the dialogue through common questions in our blog at, at evolutioncp.com. That's evolution, C is in capital, P is in partners.com. We want to hear what works and what doesn't. Um, and also, if you want to connect with the second stage uh, via Twitter, it's uh, at evolution underscore CP. And join us in the discussion at a hashtag, which is uh, uh, um, uh, something that Jeff uh, liked to point out, uh, you know, kind of screwed up before. But actually, hashtag the second stage, and it's T-H-E, the number two, N-D, stage. Um, and as always, you can reach us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. I realize I've droned on a little bit here. I do want to talk briefly. Uh, you know, coming up in uh, on April 20th, we have uh, Bo Burlingham joining us again. Uh, and I got to tell you, I read his book, uh, uh, Finish Big. 
uh, twice in the last uh, probably two months, and, and I can tell you that it's it it, it really kind of hit me because I uh, honestly I I felt I had kind of read most of the things that had to be said about kind of you know the people that are exiting their businesses and so forth, and I just I think that. Um, that uh, Bo did just a wonderful job kind of, you know, kind of getting the mindset of the entrepreneur and quite frankly putting some things together that they really need to think about and so forth. And all I can say, I know we say this every single show, but the, the time that entrepreneurs can, can grab to pull themselves away from the organization and have um, – uh, you know, just time to think on their own, time for self-reflection and planning. It always pays off. But just uh, you know, not to not to not to kill everything in uh, in uh, in Bo's book. First of all, he's going to be on our show on April twentieth. It's going to be a live show. Uh, do yourself a favor. Go out, grab the book, read it before. Um, and you know, it's a little little uh, little uh, little cheat note too. You can also get it uh, um, on audiobooks.com or audible.com. So uh, it's uh, you can do it either in all those ways. But I think Bo does a great job walking through the various phases of an exit, um, the um, ex- you know exploratory, you know what's what's out there, um, you know you know what what you know where does my company fit, um, how's it valued, um, who who would be interested in it, how would they treat my employees, all those things, it, it's it's a you know it's just something an entrepreneur ha- or a business owner has to do in the beginning parts of this. Um, the strategic piece, you know, and this is quite frankly, you know, where a firm like a private equity fund would fit in, you know, or, or do you want to bring on bring on a partner um, and whatnot? Um, execution and transition uh, are the are the last three, and then you know, fundamentally, you know, which from evolution's perspective, um, if. Uh, you know, it, it's important to realize that if you are going to attract capital, you're going to need three fundamental things in place, which is one is a, a solid management team. We talk about it all the, t- all the time. Who's going to run it going forward? The successors. So this number one is this management team. Um, and um, the next one is a culture of productivity, high performance. I mean, you've got to be able to explain why why, why um, the company is uh, – you know, is, is able to continue to, uh, to produce. And the last thing is, is, is our first pillar, which is financial discipline and metrics. And, um, you know, I, we think that they perfectly align with the five pillars, but again, you as an owner of a business have to, um, have to figure out whether these are important to you. Um, so the, uh, again, wonderful stuff. And I, I realize I'm probably uh, going to go on with this forever, but, um, he also talks about you know important things that an entrepreneur needs to consider you know which would he would deem as a good exit and number one is you know that they you know that they were treated fairly and compensated fairly for the, for the the value that they created in their business number two is that um, that there was a sense of accomplishment that they that they've contributed something to the you know to the world or something bigger than just you know kind of getting that check check uh, number three is that there's a sense of satisfaction and how their people were treated. So, you know, when you walk out the door, you know, if, if in fact the people that you, that stay with the organization, um, are, are treated fairly and you're proud of that, that, that tends to be something that's important to people. Uh, number four is that, 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 that there is a, uh, a sense of purpose, uh, the, 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 you as a, as a person have a sense of purpose, um, that's outside of the business. So if every if your entire purpose is wrapped up 
um, in the business, then um, then it's going to be hard to get out of the business or let let go of the businesses. So it's just you know those are things that, that Bo does a great job walking through, and and and, and you, you got to listen to the detail and so forth. Um, and then the, the next thing that I, I loved were his eight characteristics of a good exit. Um, in you know the um, Number one was that people that fundamentally knew who they were, and um, number two is that uh, that the owners were able to look at their business from uh, the eyes of an outsider. And again, this is very, very important because I think most business owners, they get so used to looking at their business. They love their business. They love their people that, that, that they, it is important because most outsiders will look at it in the, in the same way. Um, number three would be that, that they, that this is, doesn't happen quickly, that there it typically takes lots of years, three plus years to, 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 to make sure that you've got all of this stuff figured out. Um, uh, number four would be that you know that you've thought through the succession again. You know that that, that you're leaving the company in good hands. Um, number five is that is that you've thought through the right kind of help, and uh, that you've have, you know, you've talked to the investment bankers, the lawyers, the 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 estate planners, the people that you that you uh, need to walk through a transaction. I mean, this doesn't happen for most people more than. If you're lucky once, and you know two or three times, if you're extremely lucky, um, and then um, uh, again come to terms with the responsibilities of the employees, uh, and then uh, number seven would be understanding in advance um, who you're selling the company to, um, and what they'll do with the company if that's important to you, and then. Um, Understanding what you want to do next. So again, the, the eight things are: you know, you got to know who you are. Um, people, uh, you know, you can see your, your business in the eyes of an outsider. You've planned ahead. The uh, you're leaving the company in good hands. You've got the right advisors. Uh, you've come to terms with how the employees are going to be be dealt with, and you're happy with that. You understand who you're selling it to, the types of people, that what they're going to do with it, and then um, understand what you're going to do next. And um, um, let me see. The uh, so, anyways, it's just it get, uh, please uh, before the April twentieth show, please uh, go out and read the uh, get the book, read it, and uh, quite frankly, uh, reach out to me at uh, at uh, in evolution and uh, let me know what you, what you think of it. The um, our, I mentioned earlier that um, the next guest is all about cybersecurity, and um, we. Uh, it's literally, it's, we, uh, uh, Jeff and I met with the, one of the leaders of one of the largest, uh, kind of smaller market private equity funds. And they are, and he said that they're, they're literally having a problem with the cybersecurity on a, on a very regular basis to the point where they are actually, uh, considering, um, going out and, and establishing their own cybersecurity platform inside the company. So um, it's it's a it, it's a big issue. Uh, one of our partner companies very very recently, um, you know, had uh, had uh, their effectively people were automatically debiting off of their accounts, and they had the infrastructure in place to to basically you know they call it positive pay in a banking situation. But uh, anyways, we really look forward to having. Um, 
uh, VCAS explain to us how uh, how to work all around that stuff. So, anyways, before we go to our first break, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, McGladry LLP, the leading provider of assurance, tax, consulting services, folks in small and mid-sized businesses, mid-sized businesses nationwide, with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, we're, we're going to jump to a break, uh, but uh, when we get back, uh, VCAS Batia. Um, uh, will join us of Call Key Consulting, and uh, we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love the Third, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the second stage. As I promised, we have Vikas Bhatia from Call Key Consulting. And uh, welcome back, Vikas. Thank you, Brendan. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing wonderful. And, and I, I, I uh, apologize for Jeff. Uh, he's out. Uh, he's out traveling the country, uh, looking for looking for opportunities. As he likes to say, out on assignment. But uh, excellent. We'll, uh, we, we don't need. We. Uh, I can stay uh, non-focused without him. Uh, or I actually stay especially non-focused. But uh, appreciate you joining us. As I no mentioned problem. to the Thank listeners you. before, uh, you, you've uh, you uh, talked to us earlier about this subject and. I got to tell you, it's um, as you and I were talking about on the break. It's unbelievable how often this is happening. Or you know, just just I think we talked to you about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, did you read about it in almost every almost almost every day? At, at least every day. Yeah, there are you know there are obviously news feeds that um, myself and the team were plugged into that the uh, public don't hear about until a few days after, but. Literally every day, every uh, you know, sometimes down to you know parts of the day, 
you're hearing about a new breach, and often the the causes of the breach are the same the same causes, irrespective of the size of the uh, the victim organisation or um, you know the type of data that's been uh, that's been exfiltrated. You know, in, in this, in, in, again, I, I know I'm kind of retreading on some of the things we talked about the last last show, but is that mostly human error, or is it all human? Yeah. You know, there was a, a recent study, I think Poneman uh, is very very well known in this space, and uh, it found that I think it was maybe 40% of breaches are caused by human error. Um, so then if you break it down, it's literally third. So 40% human error, um, about, about the same number, uh, malicious attack, and then, uh, then it's just accidental. And you, you'd be surprised at how, um, particularly if we're talking the smaller and mid-sized organizations, they really, they really suffer because uh, someone's not got their, uh, you know, their stuff in order, dotting the I's or crossing the T's. I mean, there, there's certainly a, a systems glitch part of it, you know, a system mm-hmm. glitch, and it caused, uh, uh, it, you know, created an opportunity. But really, it's uh, human error is, is significant. I've actually just pulled up the numbers. Um, the cost per capita for the three uh, for the three groups: human error, system glitch, or malicious. Are uh, believe it or not, malicious, malicious or criminal attack, $159 per breach record, 126 for system glitch, and uh, not far behind, human errors, 117. So, um, you know, we often hear from organisations, "Don't worry, we got it," um, and we often respond with, uh, "Call us, call us if it's too late." <laughs> Well, it, it, it's you know I was uh, I, I got on your website before uh, this morning or I got it before the show this morning and I was reading some of your colleagues um, were talking about how the the kind of the bad guys uh, around there actually sh- you know making quality promises they're actually telling people that, that buy the data or whatever that, that they can deliver. Good stolen things, and maybe talk. I mean, I get. I, I realize it's a little off topic, and but maybe talk a little bit about how it's actually becoming a pretty a, a real business for these people. Oh, I mean, data is a data is a real commodity business. You know, uh, if we think back to, you know, I, I'm showing my age if I give you these examples. But if uh, if we go back to the beginning of my career, which is you know, 16 years ago, um, the the guys that uh, created the first virus that I was ever involved with, which is the I Love You virus. Just literally, we're doing it for fun, um, and now it's really turned into you know a shadow or commodity economy. Um, if we look at the main types of data, those that are uh, significantly breached, particularly over the last few years, are banking data, payment data, um, credentials is, is one that people often um, you know ignore. If I have access to your Facebook uh, username and password, then I may not ha- I may not be able to obtain uh, sensitive or commodity data from you, but I may be able to from someone that clicks a video that you quote-unquote posted to Facebook. So, uh, you know, again, the types of data um, are quite important for people to realize that, you know, it it really is about money. It's about business. All right. That's, that's, uh, it's, it's hard to believe that they can do those sort of things and that the authorities can't catch them, but I realize that there's just so much more resources being put at the at, at stealing this stuff than catching them but let me you know before the show i was talking to barbara hernandez who works here in the office and we were talking about we wouldn't even know because well i in particular wouldn't know when i whether 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 or when i have been hacked so maybe tell us about how how do i know if i've been hacked or breached <laughs> 
You know, um, again, our good friends over at Verizon, they issue, they've been issuing the uh, data breach survey now for over 10 years. So, you know, having been in the industry for a while, often you find that the, um, the breaches themselves don't get noticed by internal resources. They're normally external resources or third parties that detect the breach. Um, another very interesting statistic for those that are interested, uh, it takes approximately 25, uh, it takes approximately 80% of the breaches that occur to, um, to be executed within a day. Um, but on the, on the flip side of that, less than 25% of breaches are detected in a day. Uh, on average, it's uh, six to nine months sometimes that uh, it takes even some of the most more complex organizations uh, to detect a breach. So, uh, you know, how does it happen? You know, it's, it's, it's very similar. If you think back to, you know, the, uh, the burglar, the burglar uh, analogy that I often use, if I'm, if I'm the burglar and I, and I want to create, uh, want to steal, you know, your you know, crown jewels of the house or your passport and, you know, the car keys, I really don't want to come into your house making a lot of noise. I want to stand quietly in the corner. I want to have a look around to see what I can find. And, um, you know, cybercrime or cyber criminals often behave in the same, the same manner. They're not going to set off the bells and whistles, you know, the, the, the triggers that are often the, you know, the antiviruses or the firewalls. They're going to look for mechanisms to circumvent those typical controls. So it's not until, um, it's not until really someone more technical discovers an anomaly in, you know, a database or an application. Hey, I didn't put that figure there. You know, that should be on that column and not on that column. Um, that's when the, the question marks start flying. Um, we, also, we also see that um, it's external to the organization. It's law enforcement uh, or third parties that often uh, notify an organization leadership about, um, about breach having occurred. Um, we, we recently came across a case where a very small healthcare provider had been contacted by uh, the, the state and federal authorities um, because the, the person who was responsible for the technology had been um, capturing you know, very sensitive information, medical and you know, driver's license, etc., on their personal mobile phones. And it, wasn't until the, it wasn't until the time that law enforcement arrived at the door that the organization was even aware that a breach had occurred. So it's, uh, it can be quite scary, especially when that, you know, we often joke in instant response, uh, you know, are you ready for the phone to ring at three in the morning? Um, I often now, well, I now say, are you ready for that knock on the door at eight in the evening in your house? Because you really don't know when it's going to come. Let me, so if, if you, what are, the, what are the chances? I guess I'm trying to grasp how hard it is to find out whether there has been a breach or you know, how well hidden these people, you know, these, these programs that are watching you uh, react or watching you move. If, if you went into uh, pretty much any small business, would you be able to find if they had been hacked or if there was some of this software watching what they were doing? And how long would that you know, take? I, I, I thought that you were going to ask me a question like that. <laughs> um, you know, if you think about yourself and think about, um, how you respond to technical problems. The first thing that anyone does when something isn't right is turn off the computer. You know, oh, let's, let's just reboot it and let's, uh, let's see if, it, if the problem fixes itself, if the glitch is gone. Um, that's probably the worst thing that you can do in instant response. Um, let's assume that you are appropriately logging 
on um, on all your devices, on all of the devices in your network. Um, majority of times, people aren't. Um, but let's say you are. By by shutting down or rebooting the computer, essentially what you've done is you've you've got a broom and you've swept over the crime crime scene. So, okay. you know, now you're looking at a crime scene that's been altered. Um, and then to be able to forensically assess, am I saying it's impossible? No, but it certainly makes it a lot harder, um, which is why I think last year a very prominent uh, forensic organization was, a, was acquired for a billion dollars by another you know, publicly traded company because it really is big business. It's very expensive, particularly because people... Um, take very reactive, they have very reactive responses to, uh, to being able to detect or, or manage an incident. All right. Yikes. So, so let's say that I, I'm pretty sure I've, I've been hacked or breached. Um, tell me what, what's the first thing I need to do? Um, if you haven't already, so let's assume that you haven't, um, you should really follow your incident response plan. Um, which uh, talks oh, oh to yeah, oh yeah, that plan. Sorry, <laughs> that thing, that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, you know, it really the the course of action may vary ever so slightly depending on the type of organisation you are, depending on the type of data that you uh, that you collect, process, or or uh, transfer through your organisation. Um, but if you haven't already, um, and you are in a regulated industry. The, the best best course of action is to call a professional, um, and a professional could be either an, you know a company that specialises in incident response or breach response, uh, or alternatively, if you um, if you want to go down this road, then engaging your um, engaging your attorney so you've got some client uh, attorney privilege, um, so that you can you know develop a, a next course of action, uh, depending on the type of data that has been breached or suspected to be breached. Uh, and really, I'm going to digress ever so slightly here. Um, having performed audit functions for you know, some of the big four and very large organizations, we often say in audit that if you don't have the evidence, then you don't do it. So just saying that you do something is, is no good, but having documentary evidence to back up um, you know, what you've got, where you've got it, who's had access to it is, is critical. Um, but so explain really explain that to me more. So, so explain this to me more about if you don't have the if you don't have the evidence, or explain that to me. Like, what, what, like what, how would that how would that okay. come into play? So we know, uh, you know, we know every year that people lose devices. They lose iPhones in the back of taxis and laptops and USB uh, devices. Well, let's let's take the example of healthcare. Um, HIPAA mandates that any device that um, stores uh, protected health information must be encrypted. And you say to the regulator, you know, Health and Human Services, you know, sir, I had my devices encrypted. Well, if you have no way of, if you have no way of um, proving that that device uh, that was stolen, lost, um, was encrypted, then they will automatically assume that it wasn't. Gotcha. In which case, you now have to, um, you know, follow the the breach regulations. And, you know, I'm going to say, tell you, Brendan, you know, we, we often find organizations, again, the smaller organizations, you know, that's going to be really expensive. Actually, it's, it's not every Windows device and every Apple Mac has the ability to be encrypted. So that's great. Mm. Um, 
if you encrypt the device, then you can take a screenshot of it and collect the audit log file that says device was encrypted on this date, etc., etc. If you have a process that periodically checks that that device is still encrypted, then it's as good as encrypted. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to engage a team full of uh, consultants to, to come or auditors to come down and prove this on a periodic basis. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, that's it's interesting. It, you know, it's funny. I, I when I hear you talk, and I'm, you know, I think most business owners would probably fall in my camp when you know the concept of encrypting a, a you know a laptop or, or something. It doesn't even. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to do that or what that would do. But uh, right. that's probably a topic for another show, especially if somebody like you, we can get somebody like you to do that. What, what is what, um, what's the most important thing a business can do to respond to a cyber attack? You know, we've kind of you know we no to call. <laughs> Back to that one. Okay. You know, it's that's you know I'm I'm not a healthcare professional. But I know that if someone is going blue in the face and they collapse on the floor, that rather rather than pulling out my DIY, I'm going to be a doctor kit <laughs> or calling my friend next door who, you know, dropped out of uh, medical medical school. I'm going to call 911, and there's a reason why we call 911. You know, they have they have the they have the ability to respond. They have the tools that are necessary. They have the um, the background support, you know, the ambulance or the paramedics may not come with every tool that they need, but mm-hmm. they certainly know where those tools reside. And it's, uh, it, it's very similar, you know, being in that you know, breach response scenario. You've, you've just got to know who to call. So, so we, you mentioned earlier this incident response plan. To develop yeah. one of those, is that, again, a situation where, we w- where somebody would call a group like yours and say, look, we have a five or six or seven person firm and, or 10 or 100 or whatever. Um, do, do you help them come up with that plan? You know, for, for those that wish to engage us, certainly I'm, you know, I'm a business owner, so do I turn down business? No. But, you know, as information security professionals, we actually have a duty of care. Um, mm-hmm. to, uh, to promote safety and well-being. There are a number of resources, and I'd be happy to, to send people links to them um, if, you know, if they come through you, etc. Um, there are a number of free resources that are out on the Internet, and some are available through our website um, that actually show business owners the steps that you need to go through to successfully, con- uh, successfully form an incident response plan. Certainly, engaging a firm like ours or, you know, a number of others that exist in the marketplace will help to identify any potential gaps in the plan that you've, you know, you've developed or drafted. Um, often we find that um, it's the, you know, we, we'll ask the questions that result in, oh, I totally forgot about that one thing, the device, data, third-party process, document, customer, um, that requires some special attention. Um, when you're when you're deep in your business, that's that's already that's really all you see. Um, having a fresh pair of eyes on the problem, um, and especially having someone or you know having a group that's uh, performed these kind of assessments uh, on a number of times, will help iron out some kinks. So uh, you know, myself, I I'm now on my 28th incident response plan. Um, so. I've, Britain or led, and some of these uh, have been for some very large organizations. So, you know, you, you get to know which questions to ask, and, and some tend, tend telltale signs as well. 
Is there a certain size of a company or whether it's size of computers, employees, uh, devices, I don't know, that you would suggest that they need to start worrying about this stuff or is is it all businesses? Um, You know, I'll give you the serious answer and then the funny answer just to to lighten it up a little bit. Um, The Federal Trade Commission defines personally identifiable information as uh, name and one other identifiable characteristic. So it's name, address, name, phone number, name, email address, date of birth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so does that apply to almost every business on the planet? Sure. <laughs> um, on the funny side, when I founded Calki in my bedroom uh, two and a half years ago, I had an incident response plan. Okay. Albeit it was in, not a post-it note, but I did have one. <laughs> yeah, but you knew what you would do. Right. So, and I'm going to jump all the way in again. I'm going way over. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking about is is people sitting at home where they've got you know their QuickBooks or they've got their all of their stuff on some computer that kids are getting onto and wives are getting onto. I mean, how much are are, are the criminals mostly focused on businesses? Or are they also taking money from people? Um, I think this is a misconception that a lot of people don't understand. They, there's this misconception that there's a guy and he has a black hood on and he sits behind a computer and he's targeting you. Um, really, the bad guy, in plural, are developing malicious code, malware, call it antiviruses, we can call it a number of different things, botnets, that go around looking for vulnerable computers and then the data on the vulnerable computers. To them, it doesn't matter whether you're a one-man band, whether you're a non-profit, whether you're a you know 500-bed hospital group or a you know 100 million 100 billion AUM financial services firm. It really doesn't matter because that code is looking for vulnerabilities, and then once it's able to exploit the vulnerabilities, they're looking for data on those systems. So we we know that the uh, social security format is three, two, uh, sorry, three, three, four. We know that most credit cards are 16 digits. We know that most uh, dates of birth are separated by, you know, two numbers slash two numbers slash two or four numbers. So now you've, you're, you're not fighting a person. You're fighting, you're fighting code. Um, so I think people need to get out of that mentality that, you know, I'm at home, I'm safe. You, you mm-hmm. may be safe. It's just because the code hasn't got to you yet. Yikes! Now you really got me scared. So, <laughs> That's so, what you said last time. <laughs> I know. I, and, I, and I literally, what's, what's pathetic is I haven't really done anything in a year other than just worry about it, um, so, which is, you know, I guess is the the definition of insanity, right? Um, so, so typically, when you work with a client, are they? Mm-hmm. I think we may have touched on this a little bit. Are they are they local to you in, in in New York, or can you handle them remotely, or maybe give me an idea of like if, if if I'm looking for some help with this, how do I find people like you, and what's important? Uh, you know, is it geographical? Is it, you know, is it they dealt with companies my size? Tell me, tell me what I'm looking for with some help in finding help. Um, certainly, you want to focus on an organization that has the expertise. Is it someone that's done this before? Just saying that you offer security services is not enough. Um, in terms of reach, uh, we look after clients from New York that are in the West Coast, that are in Canada, some people in the UK. We do most of our work through web conferences and you know, online-type meetings. Um, if it requires some special attention, certainly we'll, we'll make the trip. But trips are expensive, and that's, uh, that's what 
has given consultants bad names. Um, we can do a lot of uh, a lot of the work that you know smaller mid-sized organisations would need just remotely. We have a secure file share that people can access, and we can work on a document at the same time. And really, the the other differentiator is that you want to be working with an organisation that has the experience in in communicating with not just the executive board, but your CFO, your COO, um, and then most importantly, general counsel. Because as we we know, um, you know, it's not just the bad guys. Sometimes there are system glitches, but there are also internal, um, you know, your IT guy or systems administrator may have done something. And that really falls into the realm of HR. So, you know, as information wow. security professionals, we can certainly provide guidance. But the, the letter of the law, if you will, for an incident response plan is uh, after the general counsel has signed off on the plan. So and, and it's you had mentioned that earlier in the show, and I kind of just let it go. So it really is that, that if, if, if you feel like there's a breach, it could be that there's something that somebody internally has done something wrong. And so by maybe talk about why you include the general counsel and kind of why that the letter of the law, how that helped, because I, I never even thought of that. Yeah. So um, for breaches uh, of a sensitive nature there, Depending on the type of data, so healthcare being one, um, if, there are, if, there, if there's data that belongs to a child and needs to be handled in a different way, um, you may work with customers or um, clients that span multiple states. Each state in the U.S. Um, has varying degrees of breach notification rules. So if you have healthcare data that uh, healthcare data from a patient in California, a patient in New York, and a patient in Boston, then by the letter of the law, there are three different requirements, albeit that it was healthcare data. So when you're developing your incident response plan or your breach response plan, you really want to be looking at the lowest common denominator so long as it doesn't get your business in trouble because ultimately you still are a business. Um, so, you know, working with um, and in concert with the general counsel or, you know, legal counsel, you're really going to be protecting the business and managing that risk. Okay. And then how much of that – and again, I'm just beating this one to death probably too much. But sure. how, much, how much of that is the, the fact that there, that there could have been some illegal activity there or is it just you just don't know? You don't know whether the reporting requirements, you don't know if there's illegal activity. You don't – it really is just kind of let's make sure we're covering all bases. Is that – is that kind of yes, very much so. Yeah, you, you don't know. Sometimes, sometimes, a, well, you know, I'll play out a scenario for you. I could have a system administrator that lives in one state that um, controls, an, uh, controls an application where there are patient records from another state. Um, the system administrator was on a third warning and had previously done something that wasn't as serious, um, you know, had, had been on suspension or whatever. Well, at that point, you've not just got healthcare data, you've got different breach notifications, but you may want to engage um, local, or state, um, local or state law enforcement because you don't know what else this person has been up to. So there may be some criminal behavior or criminal intent that you need to get around. Okay. All right. How do I is, – is it the incident response plan that I – is that the thing that leads me to make sure that my employees handle – and avoid these incidents, or, or how, how do I make sure my employees can handle this stuff? Um, so you would create, within an organization, you would create, a, you know, 
what we call a CERT, a computer emergency response team. And these could be individuals that are either wholly and solely working for you, they could be outsourced, or they could completely be an external set of parties. But in the event of a breach, you want to make sure that um, those people that are involved in the breach response have the adequate amount of training, they know what to do, they know who to call, especially if you're not available as a business owner. Um, you know, if an office manager that you hire, for example, has seen something untoward and that office manager doesn't know to not reboot the machine, who does that person call? Especially if, you know, in, uh, in Jeff's instance, he's, you know, on his busman's vocation, they're seeking other clients. <laughs> who do we call if we can't get a hold of, uh, hold of him? Um, and, you know, what level of authority does he if we called Jeff right now, he would just say, "Turn it off and turn it on." That's how, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's so we'd be in trouble there. But go, ahead. Yeah, but I apologize. Uh, yeah, no, that, you know, um, it's it's knowing what to do, knowing who to call in the event of. You know, um, I live uh, downtown in Manhattan, and you know, just a couple of years ago, there was Sandy, um, and Sandy, you know, evacuated a number of people, including my building. Um, my wife and I now live in the same building and she's certainly not a computer instant response person, but we know we have an instant response plan. If she can't get me or call me, she knows where to go, who to call. I know that there isn't a person that's out of state that we can contact as the, as the person in between. We know the number off the top of our head. It's, it's really the same thing. You're preparing for some set of, um, incidents or events that may or may not occur, but there is a plan. Who, who typically inside a, a medium-sized organization handles this? Is in charge? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it the owner, or is it? Is there somebody else? Um, I would typically look to um, someone in operations. Okay. Um, typically, it, it, depending on the size of the firm, if it's a much larger firm, then they may have. A, a CIO, um, you know, and a, tech, a technical individual that sits at the C-suite. Um, but in in the cases where there aren't, you know, CIOs or CTOs, it's really operations that needs to keep the lights on, and operations would champion or spearhead um, the development of an incident response plan or even disaster recovery plan. Um, because those incidents that aren't um, incidents turn into disasters if they're, you know, very catastrophic. So, you know, if we think about a disaster recovery plan being, you know, the building's on fire, et cetera, a computer emergency response plan um, is really a, a level beneath that. Gotcha. So if there is a disaster recovery or business continuity plan in place already, really it's about having a professional look at, the uh, DR plan, um, and then dialing it down a little bit. Maybe tell me what tell me what kind of incidents are there, and, and typically how big are the impacts of these incidents? Um, so types of incidents, computer related incidents. Yes, I'm assuming. Okay, um, we could be talking about a complete outage. So I've worked with um, you know. In, uh, organizations with under 200 or 200 employees that were hit by uh, CryptoLocker, very well-known um, strain of malware, so ransomware. And that, that knocked out um, all employees for three solid days. That's kind wow. of one extreme. 
Um, I've worked with organizations who uh, terminated an employee with you know, some level of privileged access who then post-termination was able to come back and, uh, or attempt, who attempted to connect and shut down every, other mach- every machine. Um, I've worked with um, much smaller organizations who've had employees lose USB sticks in the bar on a Friday night or at happy hour. I've had to disclose a breach. Um, machines being stolen, particularly laptops, that's a, that's a favorite. Um, and then later you would find out that the administrator was working on an Excel file that had every single you know, customer's name and date of right. birth in there. Um, so the, the extent can vary. Um, you know, I was actually asked by a, an entrepreneur not so long ago, um, you know, I only have a few records. And I said, well, what does a few mean? And he said, you know, oh, it's, a few, it's a few hundred. And I said, a few hundred being less than 500? He said, yep. I said, um, back, in, back in December of uh, 2012, the Health and Human Services actually they issued their first fine um, to a nonprofit who disclosed uh, less than 500 patient records. That organization was fined $50,000 and was mandated to have um, audits every year for 20 years. I mean, <laughs> if you think about how many photos you can put on the SIM card, uh, on, yeah. on an SD card, kind of tells you the, the gravity of the situation. Wow. You mentioned, I think you said the word ransomware or something something along those lines? Yeah. Uh-huh. Do so you ever ransomware suggest- is- Go ahead. Yeah, ransomware is a, is a strain of malware. I mean, typically we, we refer to them as viruses or malware. Um, ransomware is, uh, is where you'll... It's, it follows the same process. So it's a, an automated piece of technology that's looking for a vulnerable computer. Um, at the point that it finds a vulnerable computer, what it will do is it will display a message on the screen that says, you know, your computer has been uh, locked, um, pay... XYZ money to us and we will decrypt it within ABC time. Um, does that, that does that work? Do they actually decrypt it? Or does they uh, I always advise my clients not to go down that road. It's like uh, succumbing to the school school bully. Okay. You know, I I really hope that organizations have got some form of backup and you know, their entire business isn't um, hinging on the fact that one computer has been encrypted. Um, there have been cases where they have decrypted, but I won't, I'll bore, I won't bore you with the technicalities, but it's very difficult post the, uh, the time, you know, there's a timer and, and the timer will be counting down. Once that timer runs out, it's very difficult to, first of all, find the, uh, the person on the other side or the organization on the other side. And secondly, most of those time-based um, encryption are—they um, rely on a key. So that you know, you, you provide the key, and if you haven't been provided it in a certain amount of time, then no matter what they provide you, it won't work. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, if these people would put half as much effort into creating something pr- productive, you'd think that they—you uh-huh. know—it's <laughs> pretty smart people, huh? I mean, this is—it's uh, crazy stuff. Well, you know. Um, 
Vikas, I, I really appreciate your insight. And as you can tell, I just decided not to have a break because uh, I was, you know, I, I just think it's it's so important. And it's, it's, you know, as I say, every time I talk to you, it's it's overwhelming and and beyond my, uh, you know, my, my ability to grasp and so forth. I, you know, I, I, I do suggest that uh, any uh, entrepreneur or business owner out there, you know, please feel free to, to reach out to Vikas um, at his website, um, uh, which is the KalkiConsulting.com, K-A-L-K-I Consulting.com, or you said on Twitter, it's not just for squares, which I love. It's not just for squares, Kalki Consulting, <laughs> the Cast Party UK, all of them end up with me. Um, I, w- I was just going to also suggest, Brendan, we've, um, we've placed and helped organizations with a number of uh, free resources. So I often... You know, I often speak to companies, company owners who are 50 people or less, and they really don't have a lot going on. So it's, it's not really viable for them to engage us at this time. Yep. There, are, there are a number of free resources that are available. Um, I'd be happy to point people to those free resources if, if they're not quite ready for you know, a consulting firm to help them. I'd much rather have a safe person than a, than a you know, paying client. Quite honestly, I can do a lot more with, with safe people than I can do with, uh, with uh, clients that are in trouble. So certainly feel free to reach out, and I'd be happy to point people to those free resources. I appreciate it, and thank you very much. And uh, I appreciate it, appreciate it, and again, overwhelming, and I appreciate your time. And um, we're uh, going to move to the only break of the show, but thank you very much for, for dialing in. No problem at all. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome back to the uh, second stage. I, uh, As you can tell, I um, decided uh, halfway through well, – partially through that, that I would just kind of extend it. And I knew that VCAS had enough wonderful things to uh, say to keep the program interesting that I would just blow off an entire break. So it was, uh, it, I, it's uh, overwhelming the things that, uh, the ease that computers bring to business, uh, that coupled with uh, the, the complexity and the additional issues that, that are created. I can tell you that our partner companies are spending lots of time and, and effort uh, making sure that they've got backup plans, they've got incidents response plans, that they've got their bank stuff secure, and it's still not perfect. So. Um, I uh, would you know, thank VCAS for for participating in our show again. And please, uh, you know, if if you have uh, you know if you have a concern, please go to his website. And again, it's www. Uh, uh, 
kiconsulting.com. And again, he typically deals with these kind of small, mid-sized businesses. Uh, and uh, but he does have wonderful resources. And um, you know, please, please uh, take this stuff seriously. It, if it hits you, it's uh, it's, it's uh, it's important stuff. I, I personally have had just from a, somebody filed a personal tax return for me. Bless their hearts for and got a refund and uh, both state and federal and some other crazy stuff. So it's we're seeing it all across uh, of the stuff the businesses. I uh, want to r- remind everybody that uh, next our next show is um, a wonderful, wonderful story. And of course, I'm out of time, didn't plan for it. Um, Arnie Malham, who had a bunch of books at home, his wife made him take it to the office, nobody would read them. And then he basically you know, kind of enticed uh, people to start reading them. And now he's got this wonderful, wonderful book club. So um, again, uh, keep your computers safe. Uh, dream, uh, continue to pass on the wonderful world of some of these, uh, some of the things we're learning. And as always at, Evo- at Evolution in small businesses, it's all about the passion for possibilities. And thank you very much for into the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.